Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name, Maureen. No, thank you. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a PA announcement, and I love films. As the great Taylor Swift once said, anytime someone tells me that I can't do something, I want to do it more. My mum said I couldn't watch The Exorcist, so I watched it in secret three times in one night. I'm proper hardcore, I am. Wow, cool, Taylor Swift. Well done. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Sharon Stone, Himesh Patel, and even Fred Flamos. But this week, it's the brilliant writer, producer, creator, and director, Ed Swick. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 20 minutes of chat with Ed. You get a secret from him. You get us talking about beginnings and endings. You also get the whole episode uncut and ad-free. Check out all that extra stuff over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Ed Zwick. Ed Zwick is an incredible director who makes proper, excellent narrative Hollywood films like About Last Night, Glory, Courage Under Fire, Legends of the Fall, Blood Diamond, amongst many other excellent films in very different genres. He also co-created the hugely influential and groundbreaking TV show 30-something, which is arguably one of the most influential TV shows of all time. He's basically a low-key legend. He's also written a brand new book, which is a part memoir, part film school, all excellent, called Hits, Flops and Other Illusions, and it's bloody excellent and you should all read it. I'd never met Ed before, but we did this on Zoom a couple of weeks ago. He was so brilliant. We went deep. He was very open about so many things. I think this is one of my all-time favourites, and I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 277 of Films to be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a writer, a creator, a producer, 
a showrunner, an award winner, an Oscar winner, a legend of the fool, a hero of the many, and a glorious man in his 30s and above. He's here. I can't believe it. You can't believe it. Everything he's made is very, very good. It's him. It's the man. He's also now a writer of a book. Please welcome to the show. He's finally here. It's Ed Zwick. <laughs> Hello, Ed. Can we stop now? Yeah. <laughs> we can do that. How are you? What's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And you. And you. Edswick, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. I was so excited you wanted to do this. You're, I was thinking about you. I think you are one of those filmmakers that perhaps uh, because you've made so many excellent films, but you've also made so many excellent films in very different genres, I think mm. it's that weird thing where I don't think you get talked enough about as an auteur because you're not making the same film. There isn't a massive theme other than I'd say they're all very good and all very emotional you do very good stuff. Anyway, well, congratulations. I mean, I, I, I listen, I, I have no complaints. Let's start there. And, okay, and I think it's, I've always wanted to, to, to be a, a bit of a moving target. You know, yeah. I, I just, I think that was part of it. But also I think my, my training, I, I actually was trained in, in the repertory theater. And, Ooh, and that's you, know, you know, so that one day we would be doing Strindberg and the next day we would be doing, um, you know, Sam Shepard. In the, one day would be Shakespeare and the next day would be some ridiculous knockabout, you know, farce. And, and, and I love that. And I, I just always, I, I was cottoned to things that, that challenged me. And I like being a little bit uncomfortable with trying new things. And I think if, if you do the same thing twice, the second time you do it and the third time you do it, it's inevitably going to, you're going to be imitating yourself in some way. And, and, yeah. and originality is that I prize a lot. That's interesting. But you also made like a seminal TV show that is something that goes on for a long time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and you know this as well as I do, that mm. that you know, that, that a TV show is like it's a little bit more like scrimshaw. It's it's like lapidary. You're in very subtle movements, you're doing variations on a theme. And so you're 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 expanding the universe bit by bit and it grows and it grows, but mm. finally the, the increments are smaller. Yeah. And, and so it's it's a very different a very different focus. I think obviously when I've done movies, a lot of them have been writ large in some way, mm. and and this is much more about you know very nuanced behavior and and themes. I do believe that you're doing the same thing that you're trying to write things that are epic, even if it's That's epic in yeah. scale. Yeah, the epic lives that 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 you do on a television show they they accrue to that. Yes. 30-something, I, I was very young when 30-something was on, but my parents watched it, so I saw it. Like, in hindsight, I'm like, that was way ahead of its time, right? That was like, well, way, was there, a, yeah, you changed things. I think what you have to understand about that moment, particularly television, particularly in America, but I think in England too, that everybody was either a doctor or a lawyer or a policeman, yeah. and every, everything was a franchise, and what was most important was the plot and the characters revolved around that plot, but they were, you were not serving the characters really as much as you were serving that re recurrent uh, plot of, of the crime is solved or, or the, yeah. you know, the is saved or whatever the doctor, the medical crisis is averted, whatever it is that that was paramount. And I had a wonderful, wonderful teacher who once, who once said to me, actually it was Sidney Pollack who said to me, plot, 
is the the meat that the burglar throws the dogs as he's climbing over the wall to get the jewels, which are the characters. And no. and that's what, what we realized is that there had been in film already a couple of movies that were generationally important. There had been there had been um Larry Kasdan's movie with the Big Chill. Yeah. And there had been John Sayles' movie, the, the Trial of the Secaucus Seven. And they were trying to look at a group of people just for what their issues were in their lives, but nobody had done it in television. And and what we did was to say, all right, there are these people and what they face is worthy of examination. Like the, 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 the examined life is worth examining. Yeah. And what's funny now, of course, is that every TV show seems to take that as the premise and just find an excuse to put a different group of people together. Yeah, and that's what they're focusing on. You know, and 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 the, the the genre things and the franchise things seem to have faded into the background. And there are a hundred different ways that they have found to do a version of, I think, what we were trying to do. I agree. I agree. I do think the thing with TV that maybe film can't do, because I, you know, I really, really love film. But weirdly, some someone, uh, a writer I'm working with, is watching ER for the first time. And they're like right. pacing through it and they're watching all of it. And I watched ER weekly and loved it when I was young and something I realized like in hindsight talking to her because she's experiencing it all for the first time is that Mark Green the character in ER when he died I had spent nine years with him yes nine like I grieved Mark Green like he was family I still grieve him you know (laughs) because of the sheer amount of time I spent with him like it's an amazing thing where you go I saw his life my wife's mother was uh, not a particularly sophisticated woman, but she was very involved with her television. When everyone would go to bed, she would watch television. And I remember once she was talking about her TV friends. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They lived with her in the house and they would meet and, and have a beer and, and eat some pretzels. And, and they were her, that was part of her family. Yeah, it's, it's quite something. Anyway, you, so you have written a book which I only I got sent, sent yesterday, and I'm really annoyed about it because I've read as much as I can in the space of time I have, and it's really, <laughs> really exciting and interesting. And, but I haven't got to, I've only read a few chapters, and I love it. But I was curious about sort of looking back over everything. I really like in your introduction, you say something like, you tell us, but you say, I really want to tell the truth, but I am a storyteller and I can't help uh-huh. it. And it's also been this many years, so who knows? But I'm doing my best. I think that that's a really interesting way of putting it. But what I'm curious, with all the films you've done, they are so different. You know, you have a kind of sex comedy, you have you have a war movie, you have adventure, you have... And they're all in different countries and different sort of environments. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, like, is any of it planned or is it like the thing that came to you in that moment and was was the most together was the next project? Like, what takes you... What makes mm. you go, I want to do Blood Diamond? Like what sparked that as your next film, for example? I mean, I think my, my knowledge about life is very broad and very shallow. <laughs> I think that, I, that I, I, am, I am promiscuous in my interest <laughs> yeah, and in my reading. But yeah. I, am, I am easily sort of diverted in, in my attention from one thing to the other. And, and, and that's finally served me because it's when I then fix on something, hmm. when it strikes me as to have within it the stuff of drama, the shape of drama, the stakes of drama or comedy, 
and 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 if it if it if it sort of raises the hair on my arms in this kind of galvanic skin response and something happens if it can happen to me can i elicit that then in an audience i have to trust that my instincts as just as an audience are acute but it's also trying to be aware of what might lie beneath if you mine this thing what what else can it also be about not only what it's about because inevitably when you then decide what a movie is going to be, you're digging into your own psyche. You're touching those old fascinations or fetishes or fears that drive you. Mm. And you inevitably invest that in a character or in a relationship or whatever. So it it is the thing that you you find or that strikes you, or it's your response to it that then leads you even someplace else. I mean, And it's worked so many different ways. There are things that have taken me years and years because they've been personal obsessions forever. And then I've just banged away at whether it's screenplays or at financiers or at actors or somebody to join me in this ridiculous pursuit, you know, and that's just a kind of cussed grit and, (laughs) you know, determination um, to get these things on. And then there are the things that just sort of rise up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you one, one for instance, and I don't know if you know the movie or not. There's a movie I made called Defiance, which was about the, 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 part of the Jewish partisans in the woods of Belarus during World War II who lived in this winter for three years and ended up surviving, saving thousands of people, but fought, fought the Germans and all. But we wrote a draft of it 10 years before we made the movie. And every year I'd say, what is this? And why doesn't it work? And why doesn't it work? And then one day I was snowshoeing in Colorado and my binding broke and it was getting dark. There was no danger really of dying, but some fear took hold of me and my hands began to feel really frozen and and, and it hurt as I tried to work on the binding. And, and suddenly I realized that I had written a kind of pageant, a kind of history of this thing, when indeed the key was to write something visceral and intimate and small and mm-hmm. I went back and threw it all out and did it all again. But it took 10 years. Now, did it? And then right. when I wrote, I fucking rewrote it in 10 days. Now, the question right. is, did that take me 10 years to write or did it take me 10 days to write? 10 years. It took you 10 years because I believe these things have their time. And it was, it, it, I really believe that sometimes you have an idea and it isn't ready. It isn't the time for it yet, but it will, it's time will come. Right. And, and that you needed that. It's so fascinating. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it happens in life too. I mean, when when are you ready to have a family? When why do you fall in love when you do? Was it the death of a parent that then had to happen before you were freed to look at life in a different way? I mean, all these things, were you sick? Did somebody, you know, all of that just has this effect on you as as a as an artist too. May I ask? What was the thing that made you ready to have a family, if you have? Ah, the interviewer strikes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. I did. You just see the judgment right there. Um, <laughs> but you don't have to answer it. Oh, you no, know. I will. No, it's, okay. I, I, I think that I was about 30. And within a very, very short time, I, I, I fell in love, really, for the, for the time that was the, the, the important one and that has lasted very shortly thereafter, my mother was killed in a car accident. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. And within the same, within the same weeks. Wow. Very short time thereafter, we had our first child. And suddenly, I, as this callow, um, blithe figure, was confronted with wow. someone 
real exigencies of life and it changed everything. I, mm. I, I mean, I had been a mimic and a, uh, not, 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 I, I'd been glib and, and I had a certain facility, but I had no depth and no heart and nothing that I was willing to confront in my writing, which then life forced me to confront. Wow. Wow. That's fucking intense. <laughs> and did you, <laughs> trust me, it was fucking intense. Yeah. How did you, how, how, wow, man, I have many questions about it. I assume that was a real kind of whirlwind and of trauma and everything. And was there moments where you were like, how is this my life suddenly? Like it's such a change, everything completely different. That's exactly it. And to say, mm. oh, by the way, that's what 30 something came out of. Right. 30 something right. came out of literally saying, all right, these moments in life are worthy of thinking mm. about and recognizing as, as pivots or as passages, you know, right. a crucible that you have to go through. It, and when life starts coming at you really fast and, mm. and how do you, how do you react? And, and that has to do with success. It has to do with, you know, with failure. It has to do with so many different things, which somehow all arrive simultaneously, I think in a lot of lives. And it did yeah. for me. Yes. I, I, I actually wrote a chapter in the book, which I called it the year of loving dangerously. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. And so one question that's far less heavy is that if your brain works like this, you're interested in this, you're interested in this, you, you, you get drawn to new ideas, new stories. When you're making a, a, when you're actually making a film, which is often a year minimum, yeah. pre-production to everything, when you're in it, are you just fully in it or still within that process? Are you like at the same time, oh, that's an interesting story. I'd like to do that sometime. You know what I mean? Do you stay focused on the one thing or does your brain still go? It's, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. Because I think, I think it's, it's actually a, a relief to me to have a thing to focus on. Right, right. I think, it, I think, it, I think it, my mind gets a little more still when I can, in fact, focus. I'm not just being distracted in some way. I'm, I'm very capable of that. And, I, and it, it becomes obsessive, you know, in the way that you have to be. But I find that pleasurable. And mm. I also have this theory that if it can interest me for two years, that it's possibly going to be able to interest people in a theater for two hours. Yeah, great. One other question I have for you. You've worked with everyone. In terms of actors, you've worked with, you look at your list of films, the biggest, you've worked with the A-list, everyone on the A-list you have worked with, all the big, big stars. Is your experience that the way to work with actors is different with every single actor? There's no kind of unifying thing? Or is there a thing that you feel you're good at with them? Like, how would you describe working with them? That is, in some way, that is probably the, the, the secondary theme in the whole book, because that, is, oh. that has been the challenge, uh, and each challenge is different and the same. I mean, if, if I would say there are lessons learned, there are several. One certainly is to not try to bullshit or handle a movie star. Mm because their detectors for that kind of crap are so, so fine. They've yeah. spent so long being sucked up to and being coddled and, and fluffed and whatever that they're aware of that Im immediately. And so I've tried to, as best I can, to be honest, at the same time, they want to be coddled and fluffed <laughs> up and handled and complimented and yeah. made and all those things yeah. um, because that's their due. It's become their comfort zone and, mm. and their and everything else. 
And so it's a very interesting dance between those two um, poles. Yeah. And, 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 and it has to do a little bit, I'm sure in England, I mean, I don't know if you've worked, have you worked with anyone who is titled or, you know, or, you know, oh, you mean like work? a sir, like a sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, no, I don't think I've worked with oh, well, Sarah. Well, it, it's a very interesting, um, and it's a very, it's, it's actually a particularly, a particular English phenomenon where, you know, oh, just call me by my first name. Oh, it's nothing. But if you dare, even for a moment, forget what that means, yeah. uh, you do your own, at your own peril. So that's, right. so that's part of it, I, I'd yeah. say. But another part of it is you really have to understand that everybody began at the same moment, particularly actors, that they, they, they are, brave, beautiful, magical, terrified creatures who came from a place at a very early moment and never totally are able to divest themselves of those things that, that brought them to this dance. Mm-hmm. And that has to be understood and that they are, I think it would sometimes as a, they're out on a spacewalk, you know, on a tether out there at zero gravity floating around and you're in the capsule drinking a cappuccino, you know, while they're out there at risk and and, and exposed yeah. utterly and be mindful of that, I think. And, and you have to respect that and, 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 and admire it mm. thing. I think is there's a temptation because some actors don't have the same language because they don't necessarily approach things from an intellectual level. There's a temptation sometime to think of them to be a little bit patronizing. And mm. then you then discover that their instincts about what a scene is, what a theme is, what a moment is, far exceed yours, or certainly, certainly are rival to your yeah. own as a director. And I cannot tell you the number of times that an actor has revealed to me what I was doing when I was writing something utterly unaware of what I was writing or why I was writing it. And yet they see it yeah. and they say um, by saying, I can act that, I don't need that. That's too clear. That's not clear enough. I mean, you know, their examination mm-hmm. comes from a place that is really meaningful. And that, I mean, I think people have become movie stars for several reasons, one of which is just the, the play of shadow and light on a face and how it works and what the camera sees, of course. But there's an inner life that mm-hmm. the camera also is interested in and, and yeah. wants to see, wants to get inside of. And I think you you feel it as a director. That's why you want to be with them. I, and and you never lose that fanboy reason that you wanted to be in the movies and what a what a movie star meant and mm. what, what you felt about them. And, and it's your job to try to perpetuate that illusion or that feeling to the rest of the audience. You, if you lose it, how can you then carry it on or be the, be the, you know, the purveyor of it? And, and only one more thing. I'm sorry, I'm going on here. I um, love this answer very much. You can don't, don't worry. Please continue. All right. Well, I, I I would say that there is something a little a little spiritual, I think, or a little woo-woo in an emotional exchange that happens between a director and an actor. Mm. I think that you don't always talk about it, but I think it's communicated. I think that how I feel about a scene is somehow communicated in the way that I step out from behind that camera or stand next to them or describe something, or that if there's a moment, or even when you're having dinner together or you've done research together or whatever it is that something something is taken is there's something that they unknow of what you're going for it's not like you're going to go all the way into the emotional place that they're going to yeah but they know that that's where you want them to go because they feel it inside you i love it i agree and i love it and i think i totally believe in the woo woo of it 
I haven't done much directing, but I did. In fact, I made a short many, many years ago. And in the short, it was all, you could hear their thoughts. So there was no dialogue. It was all their thoughts. It was, it was like the aftermath of a one night stand. They've had sex and then it's what they're thinking is they're lying in the bed and this kind of awkward interchange of them trying to communicate. Anyway, so, so I was filming them doing nothing and thinking. And I knew just watching their eyes when they were thinking it and when they weren't. And I remember, and I remember just thinking that's interesting. There was this actor and she, we did a take and I, we did it a couple of times. And then one time I said, you weren't, you weren't thinking it. And she was like, how did you know that? And I was like, cause I'm reading your <laughs> eyes. I can read yeah. it. I know when you feel it and when you're not. Yeah. I find that interesting. But I also, I, I heard a story from a, I think it was a friend of mine who was like, maybe they were even a background artist on a, on a set that Robert De Niro was on. And I don't remember the film. I know nothing, no other details about it. But what they observed was that the director was intimidated, so intimidated by Robert De Niro that they never really spoke to him. So he'd do a take and he'd call cut and then Robert De Niro would kind of stand on his own. And my friend felt, and this is all, you know, projection, but felt like he wanted notes. He wanted to be involved. Like he's still an actor. He wants to work. He wants, but the director was kind of so you know, you're, you know best, I won't say anything. And I think that he felt like, no, talk to me. I want, I'm still an actor. I want to work. I mean, it's, it's, it, it sounds like a little bit oversimplified, but I think it's not a bad axiom to think about treating movie stars as actors and treating actors as movie stars. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Oh, Ed, I could ask you so many questions, but <laughs> there's a thing I forgot to tell you that I should have told you earlier. And it's mental. Which is like the fact that I'm dead. You're dead. Oh, I'm dude. dead. Oh, no, no. I read. I I got your letter. I know. The, oh, I, you I, did that. Oh, I thought I'm I forgot to tell you. I'm, I'm I'm speaking to you from beyond, from the beyond, from beyond oh, the you grave. Seem pretty relaxed about it. Okay, cool. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I thought I thought that was going to be really awkward. Uh, <laughs> how did you die? Oh, I, I think I had a stroke while on set, yelling at an actor for sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. Um, how how far into the shoot were you? It always feels like you're nowhere. You know, if you get yeah. you always get halfway, and there's still there's still another halfway to go. No, I mean, I think I think I died in harness. Whatever wherever it was, it was you know in some distant location. Um, just trying to know know that I didn't have enough sleep and hadn't drunk enough water and hadn't sat wow. down and you know whatever. It's heartbreaking, but I guess you died doing something you loved, shouting at an actor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, do you worry about death? Is it something you worry about? Sure. Yeah, I, I do, and I and I was I was once very very sick, and I ended up having uh, chemotherapy, and uh, had that very vivid, very real encounter with uh, mm. all those thoughts. So I've yeah I've been, I've been through that. My God, and and how do you feel now? Like, what do you think? Are you any more at peace with it? Or do you feel? What do you think happens when you die? You've just asked me six questions in one. Yeah. Am I? Is, how did it affect me? Die. Am I? And what happens when you die? And and I'll just give you. A, I'll give you a, a, a two a two sentence answer to that one. Is that what you want? Uh, just, as, long as, as long as you need. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, everything changes your life. You know, uh, falling in love changes your life. Uh, having children changes your life. Success changes your life. Failure mm. and and confronting illness changes your life too. It doesn't define me, but it absolutely has been taken in as part of my worldview, and it's always there. Yes. Mm. And do you th do you believe there's an afterlife? No. Oh. Well, I got news for you. 
There is. <laughs> well, it, obviously there is because I'm now speaking to you. Yeah, from it. I you was, but I've, been, I've wrong. been wrong before. I was wrong in the 70s once. You know, I, it's, it won't be the first time. <laughs> For the second time in your life, you are wrong. There is a heaven <laughs> and it is filled with your favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? God, oh, I, I, I'm tempted to say work, but I think I'd better say my, my wife and children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's filled with your wife and children who, as you walk into heaven, go, we heard you, you said work. And you go, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. And they're very happy to see you. Everyone's happy to see you in heaven. They're all, they love you. And they want to talk to you about your life, but they want to talk to you about your life through film. And the first thing I right. ask is, what's the first film you remember seeing, Ed Swick? Well, I mean, I'm sure that it was like a, a you know a Roadrunner cartoon or a or or some sort of a you know a Looney Tunes cartoon because right. I loved them. But I think the film that I remember, and by the way, these were great 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 questions because they did lead me to think about a lot of things that I may not have ever thought about. Okay. One of which I put in the damn book, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> uh, my father used to take me to the movies, and uh, I remember seeing a movie called The Buccaneer. It was with uh, yeah. Yule Brenner and and Charlton Heston, and it was a it was a great historical story about Jean Lafitte and uh, the Battle of New Orleans. And I vividly remember uh, sitting in the theater. I remember how the theater smelled, and I remember you know what it was. And I think maybe maybe he took me out of school to go see it or something. But it was it was a one of those very memorable experiences. Did you did you think then oh, I want to be in on this? No, but I would would play with my toy soldiers. I mean, it 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 it, it right. was a of a very interesting fascination with history and with battle and heroism and all of that. So, yes. Right. Interesting. What about being scared? What is the film that scared you the most? And do you like being scared? Well, I don't like being scared. You haven't made a horror. It's one of the few things no, you haven't fact, done. I think that's the one thing I haven't done, I think, because it scares the shit out of me. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I tend not to watch them as much as, as others do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a horror you know, Maven. Um, I remember, and I actually looked this up. Um, I was five when The Wizard of Oz aired on television, and I remember the flying monkeys. Yeah, and boy, that scary. that really scared me. You know, dum da dum da 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 dum da dum da da. It was just really terrifying, and um, yeah. that's that that scarred me. I think. And that was the last scary film you saw. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's it. What about uh, crying? You're an emotional man. Do you like crying? Did you, is there? What's the film that made you cry the most? I think it was Old Yeller. Fuck. Fuck. Old Yeller. I was. No, thank you. I was five. Oh my Jesus. god. Jesus, five was a big year. You had flying monkeys and a dead dog. Jesus. I was. I was. I was opening up to the world, but <laughs> but it was. I mean, I I loved my dog, and the idea of losing a dog mm. was so horrific, and. But the catharsis of crying in a movie is very important to me because I know that one, that's one way by which I've measured a lot of my films and yeah. that it's better than applause. The fact that you've reached an audience and you've elicited that from them, um, that if you're standing in the back of the theater and you start hearing that, that sniffling thing and you're like, oh, I've got them now. And, you know, and that's a, it is what you want because I, I do think that's one of the reasons we go to the movies. We go to the movies to cathart because mm. it's hard for life to do that. And it's sometimes very hard to get past your own defenses in a relationship or in public, but in private, in the dark, you can do that. And you're, and, and 
we're we're weeping for our those characters, but we're weeping for ourselves. We're weeping for our own griefs. We we touch places that are so important to get out, and I think that's absolutely one of the reasons that I that I make movies is to try to reach that place. You know, mm. in, in, in I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, if you're not making a comedy, the only other sounds you can get is is sniffy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the comedy, the comedy is—it's not easy. I mean, obviously, comedy is so fucking hard. But I can know if I'm going to be in the like in the lobby. Yeah, and I, you the know time the movie well. started, it's like what one, two, bang, <laughs> and then you know the laugh is coming. And if you, in, you know, it's not that you're technical in how you've done it, but once you see how it works, yeah, and on stage too, it's the same way. You know how to yeah. play that. Yeah. What is a film that you love? unconditionally <laughs> it is not physically acclaimed but you love this, this, it what is it this was hard this is a little bit harder but i actually thought of one there's a movie that sandy bullock did called miscongeniality that's a great movie it's a, it's great, a great movie it's a great movie uh michael kane michael kane's amazing in it but, but sandy bullock sandy bullock in that moment she is in her glory it is such a generous self-abnegating this goofy, wonderful performance that it kills me. But I can't, yeah. but I cannot tell you the number of times when I've, you know, tried to talk about that movie among a certain group of very snobby filmmakers, and they <laughs> give me this look, say, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> it's a great movie. Great movie. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, on the other end of the scale, a film that you used to love, you loved very much, but you've watched it recently and you do not like it no more. Uh, 
Well, you know, you what happens when you have kids and you know, they get to a certain age, you want to show them movies that were important to you and you really want them to love it. And then sometimes they just look at you like, like, what the fuck? There was a movie that used to play in Cambridge at the Orson Welles Theater at midnight called The King of Hearts, which is a Philippe de Broca movie. It's 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 uh, Alan Bates and Genevieve Bujold. And it's this man in World War One. He gets put into an asylum. And the, the premise is that, oh, well, really, the crazy people are outside fighting and the same people are in the asylum, which somehow when you're really high and you're 18 years old, absolutely solves all the problems in the world. And I remember showing it to my son who looks at me and said, yeah, dad, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the crazy people are, are in the, are, are outside. It's like, like it was, it was what my daughter sometimes used to call the duh channel. Oh, you know? no. oh, yeah. uh. <laughs> but I, I will also admit that I watched the searchers recently again, yeah. and I've seen it. And that is heralded to be maybe one of the great movies of all time. Mm. But it's also full of some really ridiculous stuff. Some of the songs and some of those moments are just as corny as corny can possibly be. And I think it fell a little bit down from my perch at that moment. Interesting. Do you look back at your films? Like, do you watch films from 20 years ago that you've made or do you not? Well, no, I'd never done, I never did that. And I did it for this book and it was oh, really yeah. How often were you like, I fucking love it? How often did you remember? I always wanted this bit that I didn't get to do. Like, was nobody, that still there? Nobody, nobody gives a harsher review of their own work than a director. I think yeah. when you look at it for so long, first of all, you get so sick of it because you've gone through the post-production process and the previews and all of that. But um, no, you see the clunky exposition or a moment that didn't quite work as you wished or a camera move that was awkward or the you know a hundred of those things. But I think the reason I wrote the book is because what I did look at were those people with whom I was so close and the mm. intimacies and the deep relationships and the collaborations and how important we were to each other and how I've not ever seen some of them again and may never see some of them again. Mm. What did that mean to have had the, that kind of intensity and, and intimacy and then to have it be gone? And so I really was thinking about so many of the relationships with the actors, but also with, you know, with the director of photography, with a costumer, with, you know, the man who drove me to work every day. And I learned about his yeah. family, children, and, and that, that this was the sum of a, of a life. And I was looking at, at, at the sum of my life at these relationships. And it led me into very interesting places, thinking about what I chose to do and why, and what this kind of work means to all of us and who we are and why we do it. And, so the answer is yes, I did look back at it and it was very confrontive. Uh, I think finally important, but, but um, it, was, uh, it was unexpected. How often did you watch something that you were like, this is amazing, I don't really remember this. Like, this is such uh, a good... Well, I, yeah, I look at things and saying, who did that? Right, I mean, yeah. The, you know, I mean, the, the ambition of some of it or the audacity of some of it how yeah. dare I think that I could do that? Because when I some of it I was able to pull off, and I go, what led you to possibly think that you could do this? You know, <laughs> this movie on a on three continents with thousands of extras, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, all this. Oh no, that that also was a takeaway. That's great. What is the film that means the most to you? It might not be a good film, but the experience you had around seeing it will always make it special to you, Edwick. Oh, I was thinking about this. I mean, I don't know. It, 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 there's a question you asked me later about, about what changed your life in some way. It wouldn't be this. But, but I remember seeing Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet with my girlfriend at 16. 
and I was driving for the first time and we saw that movie and we went back to her basement and it was significant. And, and later even they released a, an album of that movie with, you know, that, um, mm. that song from it. Uh, but I remember her turning to me as were Deja B in, 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 in the basement uh, in flagrante or whatever, mm. and saying to me, listen, 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 I can hear their hearts beating. <laughs> well, <laughs> clearly I've remembered it. <laughs> Did you lose your virginity to Romeo and Juliet? Or was this way late? Yeah, I, I, I think that was that was probably the, uh, the, the, the precipitating event, yeah. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you for that. I mean, I knew you'd understand. <laughs> what is the film you most relate to? You know, I was thinking about the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Excellent. I was thinking about memory mm. and its role in my life and, and the fragmentation of it. And yet my fascination with it, sadness uh, and loss, but also romance and joy that that movie to me it captures something of the process of mind mm. that is so beautiful and so touching. Um, yeah. So there's one. That would be that one, I think. That film, I watched it again the other day for something. It's fucking phenomenal. And it also is like, I love the sort of message that like, it, they're going to do it again. Like it, you can't, yeah. you, have to, you yeah. have to go through what you have to go through. You can't, if you erase That's it, right. you're going to do it again. Yeah, well, there's there's a there's a, an expression from the, from the uh, aesthetes uh, aesthetes uh, from Latin called amor fati, which is to love fate and to own those things that have happened to you and to know that they are your creation and 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 that you have to give yourself over to them and and love them and 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 I think that movie is about that too. Yeah, love it. Edwitt, what's the sexiest film you've ever seen? Well. I was thinking of, I, I, I had a thing for Isabella Johnny when I was growing up. You're only human. And, and uh, I think it, it, it might have been Queen Margot. Yes. Do you know that movie? I do know that, that movie. Blood and sex and death and sex and, and just that. <laughs> it was just, it was uh, like, it was opera to some degree, but yeah. so passionate, so turbulent. And, and she was so just delectable. And, and then I, I just, you know, met her once and I was just incapable of speech. <laughs> That's nice. There's a subcategory, Ed. I'm sure you know this. Troubling boners, worrying wide-ons. A film you found arousing, you weren't sure you should. <laughs> yeah, it's a great... Well, but mine is so... I mean, you would think that the, that, that, that question is to say that as a grown man that I've looked at, you know, a 14-year-old girl and, 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 had, and had a heart on. I know. But in fact, what I remember is something opposite, which is I remember seeing The Parent Trap when I was a little boy and seeing Maureen O'Hara in these, these the tight sweaters and, and, and her just, um, just uh, voluptuous beauty, radiant, and 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 she probably was my mother's age, and it was really, really, really just disturbing that I would be attracted to this woman. I love that you're supposed to be into Haley Mills, and you're like, get out of the way, twins! I want to see the mum. It wasn't Haley Mills at that moment. No. Yeah, that's very nice. That's very nice. What is objectively the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favorite, but it is objectively 
the best oh, I think cinema? I, it's, it's actually easy. I think it's The Seven Samurai. Oh, great. You can have that. I think, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a narrative filmmaker, I guess, and it is the most beautiful example of storytelling, but also of exposition, of characterization, of economy, of action, of mm. narrative. It, it's, it's, a, it's a jewel. There's Every bit of it is perfect. And, and I think if I were to try to teach filmmaking, if I were to say, look at one film, to learn everything there is to know, that's not a bad place to start. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? Well, there are always there's always that thing that happens and it's, you know, you've turned on Sports Center and then it's over and you don't want to go to bed and you're just flipping through the channels and some movie comes on and it's 10.25 at night and suddenly you realize it's now one o'clock because you just couldn't turn it off. And that's just, it's still The Godfather, one and two. Fair enough. I thought you were going to say Goodfellas, but you can have ah, no, 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 no. It has, it has its hold. I, mean, I do love Goodfellas as a movie, and yeah. I, I, know, I think about it a lot for different reasons. But it's just, there's something, The Godfather, in, in the mythic quality of it and the mm. familials, it just, I, just, I just love it. I don't like to be negative. Don't know about you, but very quickly, what's the worst film you've ever seen? Yeah, I was, I was, that was a hard one because, because I'm sure there are those that are, that are, that are um, much worse. And, and actually, the funny thing is that in, in two films, you, you said, which one is the worst film and which ones make you laugh the most? And the same actress is in both of them. So I'm going to say something. And she's a friend. And I think the worst movie I ever saw might have been perfect. What's perfect? Oh, the the workout, the aerobics film. Yeah, yeah. It supposedly is about this Rolling Stone journalist played by John Travolta. And I'd been a journalist for Rolling Stone for a while. And, and Jan Wenner is in it, who's just having this ridiculous sort of performance as himself. And, and, and Aaron Latham, who wrote it, wasn't a screenwriter. And Jim Bridges is barely a director. And, and it's just, and it is, it is so embarrassing as a movie because it's, trying to make something out of a culture that didn't really quite exist and, and, and try to sell it. Was just, it was just a movie that I just remember being so risible as to just saying, why? These are all hugely talented people that are doing this silly thing. You know, I mean, look, think of the great work that Travolta's done. And then, and then you get to mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis. And that's the next thing you're going to ask me is, what made you laugh the most? What made you laugh and the most? And it's possibly called Wanda, ah, you know? Redeemed. That movie, I'm sorry, when, when Ken, when the dogs die one at a time, <laughs> or when he swallows the fish, I'm sorry, it's just, I, I, I pee my pants. I do. That's a great movie. And I love slapstick, and I've never, that's something I would love to do, never found the occasion to do it, but oh, do I love it. That's hard. And, 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 and the only one, there was other one other scene that occurred to me from a different movie, and that's, it's, it was Bowfinger. When, when, I love when, Bowfinger. Eddie Murphy's trying to cross the street. I'm just that. Maybe you have to live in LA to really appreciate it's it. It's really so much. amazing that it's really impressive that sequence as well. And uh, oh goes, yeah, and now you got to do it again. Fuck, it's great. oh yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, no, I adore Jamie Lee and her work. And but she, and 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 everybody was doing their best. Yeah. But but boy. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. 
you'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ed Zwick, you have been a joy. I have loved this so much. However, when you were you were directing on set and you were shouting at an actor, and and we're not going to name the actor, but I think we all know who it was. And you <laughs> were sh- you were shouting at them so much, and in the middle of it, you suddenly were like, "Oh, what's that feeling?" And you had a stroke. <laughs> it happened fast, and you immediately fell to the ground. Everyone stood around, and went, "What?" What, what what's happening? And and the first AD says, I think he's conflict averse. He didn't like that they were having an argument, so he's playing dead. And then they check and they go, no, I think he is dead. And then I'm walking around with a coffee and I've just come for a set visit. You know what I'm like? And I'm like, is Ed around? I'd love to see how he's getting on. They go, I think he's just died. And they're like, what? Everything's chaos. I go, is he he's dead on this set? And we're in a, in a very far away location in the desert. And he's now melting into the sand. Yeah, he is. Oh, God, help me, guys. So we get some some spades. We start digging you out of the sand. But your skin is melted into things. I'm having to get clumps of sand. Anyway, I'll get all of you in the coffin. But there's more of you than I was expecting, what with all the sand and stuff. It's jammed in there. There's really only enough room in this coffin for me to slip one DVD into the side for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show your wife and children in heaven when it is your movie night on the other side, Mr. Edswick? Go. Couldn't I have taken some home video footage and have it transferred to DVD so I have that? Is that cheating? Let me check the rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
there's a movie by Ettore Scola called We All Loved Each Other So Very Much. And it's about a group of friends and um, what their lives turn out to be. And Mm. I don't know, that would be the one. I want to see that. That sounds right on my street. Edswick, what a pleasure. I've loved this so much. Thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything well, you would like to tell people to look out for or to watch or to read your book, perhaps? Well, I mean, it's, I mean obviously, I'm, I'm out there pimping my, my own book. You know, I, I wrote the book for obviously a personal reason because it, was, it is memoir. And it's, somebody said that to write a memoir is to get to eat the same wonderful meal twice, you know, and, and, mm. and, and that's why I did it. But I wrote it for, I wrote it, I think first, obviously, there are those people who've liked the work that I've done and, 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 and been generous about it. And I think they will like the book because it is a bit of inside baseball to see just so much more that was, you know, not there and, and mm. it will inform the work that they may have liked. But the other reason, frankly, is for a young filmmaker. I think that yeah. there was, there was a book for me that was really important that, that uh, Bill Goldman wrote called um, Adventures in the Screen Trade. And, mm-hmm. and it was a wonderful book and important to me because it was about his joy of the process and he was funny about the process and he was honest about the process. And I think it gave me at least some comfort over the years. Like I'd go back and think of what he was talking about and as I learned it. And, and I think that I wrote this book thinking that there will be some young filmmaker at some point who will have taken something from what I wrote, which isn't just about dishy inside Hollywood stories about movie stars, but about certain values, about mm. why we make movies and what they're really about and why they're important in our lives. And that, that this might have touched uh, him or her. Yeah, you've got at the end of each chapter, you have like 10 lessons, right? Yeah, I do. I looked, at, I looked at most of them and they're really, really good. Oh, good. It's excellent. Edswick, thank you for your time. What a pleasure. I would like to continue reading your book and I'm going to. Please do. And, and I hope that sometime we get to meet in a way that's uh, less virtual and more real. Not recorded. <laughs> I would like that very much. All right. Uh, thank you, Ed. Have a wonderful day. Good day to you. Thank you. So that was episode 277. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for all the extra secrets, chat and videos with Ed. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but don't write about the podcast. Write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a lovely thing to read. People like it. My neighbour Maureen cries and we love it. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to Ed for being so great and for giving me his time and for being so open. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to iHeartMedia and Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lytham for the excellent photography. That is it for now. I'll see you next week with a fucking banger of a guest. In the meantime, have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other.
Hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 